listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you guys tonight. What a great week we have had with Vacation Bible School. So many things to celebrate, so many things that we see God doing in and around our ministry. We see lives being changed, people taking next steps and building connections. Last week we celebrated Kirk and Sarah Freiberger who came on Saturday night to place their membership here at Memphis Christian. And I know that there are more who are engaged and ready and and wanting to know more about what it means to connect. And if you're one of those, if you're new with us this evening, you've never been here before, maybe you've been checking things out, our encouragement for you is to let us know how we can help you take some next steps and how we can help you connect. And there's a couple ways that you can do that. One is in your bulletin is a Get Connected card. You can fill that out with your information. Let us know how we can be praying for you. But you notice that this weekend there's also some bigger blue uh, cards in your seat back. And if you just want to have something simpler to fill out because you're interested in what's going on here and you want to know, then just fill that out and then you can drop that up here in the plates during uh, communion offering time or at the end of service, you can leave those back there with uh, the greeters. As we start this evening, I want to celebrate just what God is doing through VBS by praying that we would continue to see waves, right? The whole theme this year was make waves and the idea was that every little ripple that God can start in the life of a child or in the life of a family can ripple out and make huge waves as people respond to him. So let's pray for that this evening. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that you gave us this week to be here to serve you. It's amazing, just as we sang, what you will do through Christ in us. So Lord, as we got to be with these young kids and with these families just sharing the gospel and who you are and what you've done. We do pray, God, that you would take all that was said and all that was done and you would make it grow, just as you've been doing from the beginning, that you would make it grow. We would continue to see families respond to the reality of what you have done through Jesus Christ. Lord, you use us in this, but ultimately you are the one who changes hearts and draws men and women and children to yourself. So Lord, thank you for letting us be a part of that. And now as we open up your word, may you speak to us by your Holy Spirit that we would see you in and around our lives regardless of where we are. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if this is your first time joining us this weekend, we've been in a series called Simplify in which we have been looking at those areas of our lives that are made simpler when we align ourselves with God's standards and his precepts in what he has laid out through the pages of his word through the Bible. And so we're going to start there this evening by turning to the very beginning. We're going to look first in Genesis chapter 2. So if you go ahead and pull your Bible out, if you don't have a Bible, please Please grab one out of the seat in front of you. If you want to take that home, you may do so. That is yours to take home if you'd like. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to consider another area of life that is made simpler when we align ourselves with God's precepts. And it's, it's an area of life that applies to all of us in some way, really regardless of what age we are. And that area is work. And within the context of my sermon, when I use the term work, 
I'm not just going to be talking about that 40, 50 hour a week job that you go to where you can earn money to bring home to your family. It is that, but it's much more than that. Because I'm also talking to you stay-at-home parents who spend much more time than that taking care of things around the house, especially if you're homeschooling, right? That, that's your job. Or I'm talking to students who go to school, K through 12, or even in college, and you spend all your time doing homework around the table. That's, that's work. That's a job. And so all of us, in some way, we fit into this bucket, even if you're retired, you know that you probably spend more time, you're busier during this time in your life than you ever have been because you've filled your time with serving here at the church or volunteering in some place or just being and taking care of your grandkids, right? That's, that's work. And so in this context, work could be anything that we do regularly to meet ends, to, to meet ends meet or to meet the needs of what's going on in this season or what's going to be coming up in the next season. Work is all of this, and so none of us are exempt from this. And I want to start by looking at the same principle that our children learned on night one of VBS. And that principle is that God created people for a purpose. And for us, it's I was created to have purpose through my work. It's the same principle that our kids learned. It's a very basic principle. And while work isn't our primary purpose, right? Our primary purpose is to worship God and enjoy him forever. God designed us from the beginning to be a people who work and who glorify God through that work. So we're going to start in verse 5 of Genesis 2. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Remember, God created the world and everything in it, and he creates this garden in the east. Verse 8, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed on the sixth day. The man who was created out of the dust of the ground, whom God breathed the breath of life into, that, that separated humanity from every other part of God's creation. In the garden he put the man. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, we often think that the reason we have to work is because we live in a fallen world and we have to provide for ourselves, and that is true. But what I want us to notice right from the start is that Adam had a job to do. This is in Genesis 2. This is not chapter 3. God had placed him there in the garden to work the ground and to tend to it. The shrubs and the plants, as perfect as they were, would not begin to grow in the way that God designed them to until he had someone there to work the ground. There was never a time when man didn't have something to do with his hands and with his mind. It wasn't even the only job that Adam had, right? God said, you're going to name the animals, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. These were the jobs that man had at the beginning. And the point is that we weren't created to sit passively and lazily by in God's creation, but rather to be an active part of God's creation by using our hands and our 
minds and our creativity and our, our giftedness in a way that honors God and gives us purpose through whatever work we're doing. Now, we like the idea of not having to work. We daydream about the day when someone's just going to gift us a billion dollars and we no longer have to provide for ourselves, right? We've all thought about what that day would look like and what we would do with all of that money when we no longer had to work. Or we look ahead to our retirement day and think about how wonderful it's going to be to spend the rest of our lives on a beach somewhere with no responsibilities and nothing to worry about. Or how great it's going to be when we graduate high school and college and we never have to think about papers and exams and studying ever again, right? We daydream about these days. And yet what we find is that when and if those days come, and then they, they rarely do, when and if those days come, it doesn't take long and we're once again searching for something to do. We're looking for something to give us purpose, a hobby or, or a sport or, or something to fill our time. And it's because this has been hardwired into us from the very beginning. It's part of our DNA. And we feel a great sense of accomplishment after a productive day when it seems like everything went right. And I think there at the beginning, that's how Adam always felt. He never questioned the simple purpose for which he had been made. Every day just felt more productive than the last. The work was easy. It was uncomplicated. The ground literally watered itself from below. The sun wasn't overbearing. It didn't cause heat stroke. He didn't know the feeling of, of painful blisters on his hands. The crop always came up the way that it was supposed to. Big gains took little effort. But we know that today, that's not the case for us all the time. In fact, that's rarely the case for us. I enjoy cutting grass. Amanda thinks I'm crazy because I'll go out there and I'll, I'll cut the grass and then I'll go sit on my porch for an hour and just stare at what I've done. I'll do nothing but stare. I love doing that, right? I love going out and cutting grass, but it can be tiring. I was out there on Thursday afternoon last week before coming to the church. It was like 95 degrees outside, but I'm like, I have to get this done. And so I'm sweating and I can feel my hands blistering and they're sliding off the mower, right? Because it's so hot. And as accomplished as I feel at the end of it, as good as it looks and I enjoy seeing it, I know that next week what's gonna happen and be right back out there, cutting it down again, and then sit on my porch for an hour and looking at it, right? Every single week, this is the pattern. See, if Adam didn't feel that way, then what happened? Why is it that we attribute the very act of work to being a curse when it was God's design from the beginning? Well, we see it in the next chapter of Genesis and the reality that work became complicated when sin entered the world. That's when work became complicated. You know the, things, think, the way things went. We see perfect harmony in creation for two chapters and then everything changes in the third and that's where we have been ever since. We live in a Genesis 3 world to the point that we can't even conceive of what a Genesis 2 world looks like. Everything changed because Adam and Eve complicated the whole situation by wanting to do things on their own, by not following God's standard, by wanting to be their own boss. 
They rejected the design for how life was supposed to be lived, and it complicated everything. And as a result, they had to leave the garden. It wasn't just that God cast them out. They literally could not live there anymore because if they could eat from the tree of life and they would have to live forever in this cursed world. And so it was a blessing that God sends them out of the garden and yet he sends them out with the curse in verse 17, chapter three. God says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Painful toil. That's how work is now being described. The Hebrew word there relates to sorrow. In other words, work would no longer be joyful and satisfying all the time the way that it had been, but done in sorrow and toil and pain. Adam would now have to work under the oppressive sun. He would know the pain of blisters on his hands caused by the tools he was using, plowing dirt that would never yield crops the way that it used to. Instead of big gains, a little effort, it was big effort with little gains. And all the while, he would remember how good it used to be before he chose to be his own boss. I mean, how could he not be sorrowful thinking about how simple it used to be? And while you and I can't conceive of how simple it used to be in Genesis chapter two, we do our jobs day after day with this sorrowful inkling of what it could have been like before Genesis three. That's why we feel the sorrow and the, the, the pain of working today. Now we may not have to toil under the hot sun in the same way that Adam did when he was cast out of the garden. We don't have to go produce our own food Modern technology has taken much of the work out of work, but we also know that work today comes with its own complications that tie directly back to God's words there, that tie directly back to the curse. And I've got a spot there on your outline where you can think about whatever season of life you're in, whether you go to a job day after day, or whether you're a stay-at-home parent, or whether you're a student, for you to write down ways that your work has become complicated for you. What are the areas that make it difficult for you to go in day after day? What are the things that cloud your idea of what's right and what's wrong and what's productive and what's not? It could be simply finding the right job, determining what it is that God wants us to do with our life. Stress and anxiety that are at all time highs over making the wrong decision or making a mistake that's going to get you fired tomorrow. A boss or a teacher who's overbearing, overcritical, constantly angry customers. If you're in customer service, God bless you if you're in customer service. It is a terrible place to work, right? Because people are angry and they're awful to you at times. Feelings of discontentment, disillusionment, discouragement, wondering what your purpose is and why God has you there in that place. This list of complications can go on and on as we're faced with the effects of this curse. But like everything that we have considered through this series, the Bible has a simple answer for us. And so go ahead 
and flip the New Testament books of Philemon. We're going to start there for a moment. And then we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Philemon and Colossians chapter 3. Now Philemon probably isn't one of those books that you study a lot or spend a lot of time digging into. In fact, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you started your table of contents before you went to Philemon, right? It's not one that we necessarily look at a lot. It's tucked in one chapter, just tucked away there between Titus and Hebrews. But I think it's interesting because it gives us a glimpse into a very personal situation that occurred while Paul was preaching the gospel and building churches. Every one of Paul's letters is very personal, and yet it applies to all of us, and this letter is no different. In this letter, Paul is writing to a man in Colossae by the name of Philemon a man whom Paul apparently knew personally and who had come to a saving relationship with Christ through Paul's preaching of the gospel. Philemon is now a Christian. He's part of a church there in Colossae. And the primary gist of the letter is that Paul had met a man by the name of Onesimus, who was one of Philemon's slaves and ran away to find Paul. After finding Paul, Onesimus himself comes to a saving relationship with Christ, and now Paul is sending him back to his master, back to Philemon, to be received as a fellow brother in Christ. And so what Paul is doing through this letter is he is pleading with Philemon to free Onesimus and to treat him as the brother of Christ that he is. Verse 15 and 16 gives us the overarching gist. Perhaps the reason, Paul says, he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. Very personal situation into which Paul is writing as he pleads for the freedom of this man. And what's interesting about Paul's letter to Philemon was that it was written at the same time as his letter to the church in Colossae or the book of Colossians. If you prepare, if you compare Paul's final greeting in Colossians with his final greeting in Philemon, you find that the same people are present there with Paul. And in Colossians, Paul actually references Onesimus as he's heading back to Colossae. Within the letter of Colossians, Paul addresses several groups of people, right? Paul's overarching way of writing as he would spend the first part of his letter giving these deep theological truths about what Christ has done. Then the second half, he says, now here's how you live. And so he writes to us as Christians, and he gives specific instructions for how we are to behave depending on the situation that we're in or, or where God has called us. He speaks to wives and husbands and children and parents, and then beginning in verse 22 of chapter 3, he addresses Christian slaves within the church. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Philemon heads back to Colossae, he's going with Tychicus. There's, there's two letters that are going back, one to the Colossian church, and Onesimus is sending the, next, the other one to Philemon. So Paul is writing the letter to the Colossian church, and inside of it, he's including instructions for Christian slaves of whom Onesimus is one. And I, and I would wager 
that Onesimus read this letter that was going back to the Colossian church and he saw these instructions for how he was now to behave now that he was a Christian slave. The instructions were for him, regardless of whether his status changed when he got back, these were the instructions that Paul was giving to Onesimus. Now, we are not slaves today in the sense that Onesimus was to Philemon. However, it's commonly and rightly accepted that Paul's instructions to Christian slaves and Christian slave owners can be appropriately applied to the employee-employer relationship. How? We may not be forced under a legal code of ownership to stay working at the same place, but how many have felt trapped in their work? How many have felt slaves to the place that they're working because they feel like they can't leave and find comparable work elsewhere, or they're going to let somebody down, or they're going to lose the ability to provide for their families? Or if you're not in a job, you're, you're still stuck at home doing these things that need to get done. If you're a student, you're still in the classroom and you can't get out. We feel like slaves to these places. And so the point is that this applies to us today. Because even if we left the job that we're in, we're going to find ourselves beholden to another manager or boss or way that things are supposed to be run at the office. And so with the understanding that this applies just as much for us today, I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22, where Paul writes to us. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Christ Jesus you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Now we're going to break these verses apart into the practical elements for us, but contained here is an overarching principle that simplifies our work, regardless of what that is, and drives everything that we do. And the principle is this, that regardless of where or how I work, I have one boss. And that boss is Jesus Christ. That is the essence of what Paul is saying, not only here in Colossians 3 when he says, whatever you do, do it as if you are working for the Lord, but he also says it in Ephesians 6, 5 through 8, where he says, serve as if you were serving the Lord, not people. In fact, we see similar commands given in 1 Timothy 6, 1, and Titus 2, 9 through 10, and even Peter addresses it in 1 Peter 2, 18 through 21. I, I put those on your outline if you want to take them home and, and read them because they all deal with the same situation and how we are to live within this situation. Everything that we're going to see flows out of this basic principle, and I want to spend the remainder of our time looking at practical instructions that flow out of this overarching reality as we see here in Colossians and in these other texts that I just referenced. And the first is this. I am to work in obedience, obedience to earthly masters. Verse 22 says, we obey to obey your earthly masters in everything. And of course, we don't have slave masters over us, but we have 
earthly bosses and we have managers and we have boards of directors. And the command is to obey in everything. Paul takes this a step further in Ephesians 6 when he writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey whom? Christ. Right? One boss. You obey just as you would obey Christ. In other words, do what you're told as if Jesus himself were the one telling you to do it. And that can be tough because we sometimes find, our situa- find ourselves in situations where we grow lazy or disillusioned and we simply don't want to do what's been put ahead of us. Or maybe my boss is telling me to do something that I don't believe is part of my job description, even though every job description has that little disclaimer at the bottom that says, or other jobs as assigned. Right, which means that carte blanche, they can assign whatever they want to you. Every job has that disclaimer in the job description. We know that. If Jesus himself spoke down from heaven and told you to do something, we wouldn't respond with, sorry, Jesus, that's not in the job description. So we obey as if we were obeying Christ. Now, it goes without saying that since Jesus is our ultimate boss, that we are not to do anything that would conflict with biblical commands. That's where we have to draw the line. And so if your boss tells you to, to lie in order to win a customer's business, then we default to God's commands over that earthly boss's instructions. Some have risked losing their jobs because they've made being here a priority. And so we obey Christ over and above everybody else. We honor him no matter what, but we honor him by obeying where we are supposed to. In areas that don't conflict, we demonstrate respectful obedience to those who have been placed over us. Secondly, we work with faithfulness and integrity. Back in verse 22, Paul says, Obey not only when their eye is on you, but with sincerity of heart. He tells Titus to teach slaves not to steal from their masters, but to show that they can be fully trusted. See, when things aren't going well for us, we want to simplify things on our own by taking what we are owed. It's okay to send out resumes while I'm on the job, or take extra time on breaks, or I can cheat on that test because it's too hard to begin with and he's not a good teacher. No, we are called to be honest in all that we do. That's a truth that pervades everything we do, not just at work, in everything we do. We should have integrity and honesty, not stealing from those who are over us. Having only one heavenly boss means that lying to your earthly boss is the same as lying to Jesus. And of course, we wouldn't do that. We do that, but we say we wouldn't do that. And that means that I can and I should share with those over me when I am feeling discouraged and disillusioned. But regardless of how they respond to that, it doesn't give me a license to take things into my own hands and to act dishonestly or to act in a way that doesn't demonstrate character and integrity in everything. We demonstrate that in our job. We are faithful and honest in all things. Third, we work with wholeheartedness work with our whole hearts. Paul says in verse 23, whatever you do. Now that is such a broad statement. You could be the CEO of a major corporation or 
simply a low-level employee sitting in a cubicle or behind the counter at a fast food restaurant. You could be vacuuming your carpet at home or sitting behind a desk listening to the most boring lecture you've ever heard. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Ephesians says to serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. In other words, whatever you are doing in that moment, you do it as if you were doing it for Jesus himself and if it's the most important thing you will ever do. That's what it means to glorify God, right? The the scripture is whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, glorify God. Do it all for the glory of God. What does that tell us? It tells us that when we work with our whole heart, it's God's very glory that is at stake. Not that we can diminish God's glory in any way, but I can give a poor example of what God's glory looks like by not serving with my whole heart in everything that I do. And that applies when we're here at church. When we're serving on the greeting team or we're out there manning an inflatable after we're done here tonight or we're on the grill or we're making communion back here, we are serving with our whole hearts because we are demonstrating the glory of God to the people who are coming to this place. And we want to make God's glory attractive to them. And so we work with all of our hearts in everything that we do. Next, we work with patient endurance. Understand that your situation at work may not change. Your boss isn't going to become a different person overnight. You're still going to be faced with the same challenges, the same complications. Things are still going to go sideways regardless of what season of life you're in. But Peter gives us this instruction. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And Peter is speaking into a very difficult situation. He is speaking into a great level of persecution against Christians. And Christian slaves who are serving non-Christian masters could find themselves in some really difficult situations. And he says... You submit yourselves to them in patient endurance. In other words, how you think and behave should not be dependent upon how your boss thinks and behaves. Because remember, we have only one boss, and he is good, and he is loving. That person over you in the workplace may not be that, and so the call is to work with patient endurance, knowing that the one whom you are really serving sees you, and he sees your heart. He knows what you're going through. He knows the complications that you're facing in that place, and he is the one who is ultimately going to be the judge of whether or not you serve with your whole heart according to these commands and these scriptures. And so we, be, we are patient. We bear up under affliction knowing that this is where God has us today. And we don't let it complicate the overarching principle that you are working for just that one person. Next, we work with the right motivation. What is your motivation for being there? What are you striving after? See, I'm not not exceptionally motivated by money. It's great to get a raise, but I know that if I hate my job, then no amount of money is going to cause me to hate my job less a year from now. Right? In the long run, it doesn't serve as a big motivator for you, but what is your motivation 
Paul says something interesting to Titus when he writes, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That's the motivation. But if you're a Christian, then one of your primary responsibilities while on this earth is to make the gospel attracted to the world by showing what Jesus has done for you. You don't know what kind of effect you're having on your earthly boss by living this way. But I can tell you what effect you'll have if your boss knows you're a Christian and you don't live this way. He'll say, Jesus had no effect on Brandon, so why would I be interested in Jesus? Right? We need to show what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us. And our motivation is that we might see that person, that coworker, that boss, that, that student next to us respond to this gospel. We are to live and work as if every thought we have and every decision we make will be the driving force of that person coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. And that motivation should change everything that we do in our work day in and day out. Finally, we work with the reward in sight. Not retirement or the big promotion that's still 15 years off or the bigger house, those things are only temporary. They're fleeting rewards. Paul says in verse 24, work with all your heart since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. We are working towards a reward that will never perish, spoil, or fade. An eternal reward that will last forever and that should put everything else in its proper perspective. That no longer how complicated things have become, regardless of how undervalued or underappreciated you feel, no matter how little money you make or how hard you worked on that assignment and got that B, the only reward that matters is the guarantee that this is temporary and life with Christ is eternal. It doesn't get simpler than that. And that should drive not only what we do at work, but literally everything that we do in our lives with this reward in mind. It changes everything. Now, I wish we knew, but we don't really know what came of Onesimus when he returned with this letter that Paul wrote to his master. I like to think that Philemon was obedient to Paul he had become a Christian, and so he, he should have recognized his Christian duty to release this man and to consider him as a brother in Christ, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But what I can be pretty confident in asserting is that Onesimus went back to his master with an entirely different way of seeing his circumstances. When he read this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he went back with an entirely different way of looking at his life and at his situation. He no longer saw himself as a slave to his work as a slave to this man, but as a child of the one true God. And that can't help but change and simplify everything. That when he got back, his situation may not have ever changed. In fact, it could have gotten worse since he had fled to begin with. But he went back with a whole new way of seeing how things were and recognizing who his real boss was. And that is the encouragement for us who believe that work and life have gotten so complicated. That's the encouragement for you who have been trying to simplify things 
on your own. And I'd be lying if, if I told you that I haven't had these moments, even in ministry, where I have tried to do my own thing and simplify things on my own, and it just doesn't work. And that's why we keep coming back to God's word and to these principles that put everything else in perspective. Because you may go back to work on Monday and your circumstances may not change, but let God change your perspective and it will make all the difference. You may even be surprised, I bet you'll be surprised, by what God does through your simple obedience, through your faithfulness and your integrity, through your wholeheartedness and your patient endurance when you have the right motivation and you put the eternal reward in front of your eyes, you'll be amazed at what God will do in that, not just in your heart, but in the hearts of those who see that happening in your work. So we may we find our purpose through our work in our one and only boss, our king. May we find it in Christ alone and let that change everything for us. Let's stand up and let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for Christ because we know that this world is temporary. God, we know that regardless of what situation we're in, whether we're in a 60-hour-a-week job with a boss who's overcritical or whether we're stuck at home taking care of the kids and vacuuming the carpet, whether we're a student in the classroom who just can't wait to be done. God, all of that is temporary. And you've given us instructions for how life can be lived in the ordinary, God, in the day-to-day. -day. And when we put the reward, the eternal reward in front of our eyes, nothing, nothing is ordinary. God, but it's all done for your glory and for your praise. And so thank you for the purpose that you've given us in that. Thank you that you've given us something to do. And may we find joy. May we find joy not in the temporary, but in, in the eternal and in the permanent. So thank you for that, Lord. May you be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and let's praise.